Hello and welcome back to another episode of On Spec. I am your host, Ryan Brath. This week's episode is all about fitting. Fitting, we're going to talk some shafts, and then we're going to go through some of the Q&A, which I did this week on Instagram. Remember, you can always follow along. I do them once a week at rdsbrath on Instagram, and I also use the same handle on Twitter as well. And then you can follow the show along at onspecwrx on Instagram too. And I know I talk a lot about fitting, but there's a couple reasons why I really want to dive into the topic. Because first off, um, this past week on golfwrx.com, there was an article talking about the difference between fitting inside versus outside. And there's a lot to that subject. And I tried and covered as much of it as I could in that piece. Uh, But I'll touch on that first when I get into the into the whole thing. Um, but I'm also, the other thing too is, one of the questions I get all the time is about how do I prep for a fitting? And this is an important one. And the reason this came to my head is because, you know, for us at golf to rex it is uh, launch season or we're getting into launch season. So that means uh, myself, uh, Johnny Wonder, we've gone through a number of fittings for new product to see how it works, see how it fits into our bag, and see how it compares to both current and, you know, those companies' older products. And I myself today will be going to a fitting, which I will report back on at a slightly later date, for some new uh, drivers and fairway woods, which I'm, you can probably figure out what it is, but uh, I'll leave it to the, uh, I'll leave the mystery out there for you. And, uh, you know, it had me thinking because a lot of times, Uh, I don't actually prepare at all, um, but I'm trying to make sure that I am, you know, ready to go and able to go through this process. And because people ask it all the time, I just wanted to go through it because, you know, I've seen people show up to fittings having, as you know, worked in the business, having hit, I don't know, 200 golf balls the day before, or, oh yeah, I played this morning and I wanted to be ready, or I hit balls this morning, hit a couple buckets and wanted to come to my fitting. I don't ever recommend people doing that because you have to remember in a fitting, you're going to be hitting a lot of golf balls and changing the combinations that you're going through and all that different stuff. So it's best to, you know, maybe the day before, if you played nine holes or something, and look, this all depends on the player. If you hit golf balls every single day, by all means, do your normal thing. It's probably not going to be a big issue for you. But what happens is we see people that are, and I'm not talking about handicap level, I'm just talking about either just the general specifics of someone who plays golf. And if you really only play golf once a week and, you know, you're really jacked up and you're super excited for your fitting and, you know, the day before you hit all these golf balls, well, the next day you're probably or potentially aren't going to be swinging your best because you've really tired yourself out from the day before. And with that as well, you know, When you do get to the fitting, make sure you've got lots of water, you've got your snacks, you're ready to go, you had hopefully a good meal, nothing too heavy, right? No one, if you're going to go out and think about it, right? You're not going to pound, I don't know, three hamburgers before you go out and play golf. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know, maybe that's your pre-round routine. And if it is, by all means, do it. I'm sure Bryson crushes like a steak, right? And maybe two. Does a workout, crushes a couple steaks, and that's just like his pre-range ritual regardless. But... If you want to make sure that you're you're ready to go, just go through your normal process. You would kind of prep for a round of golf, right? Have a meal, 
maybe you're going to hit golf balls when you get there anyways to warm up. So you don't need to go anywhere to warm up and just go through the normal process. The other pro, the other issue that I see is when people get a driver in their hands and they're on a launch monitor for the first time. And it becomes a game. It comes the video gamification. I don't know if that's really a word or not, but uh, you know, trying to get the high score, like how fast can I swing? What am I trying to do here? And all these different things. And at the end of the day, the goal is to make sure that you are able to get a golf club, have it be a driver or a set of golf clubs, irons, wedges, fairy woods, all that stuff, gapping, anything that works for your natural golf swing. And just the, the swing that you normally wake, make when you go out and play. And that's really vital to making sure that you get the right gear. Uh, because you want, again, you want to talk to your fitter. And another thing is, too, at a lot of places, like when we, I'm talking um, brand agnostic fitting studios, those types of things, where, you know, you're, if you book a two-hour fitting or maybe, again, depends on your fitness level. It depends on how often you, you play, how often you get golf balls. Going through a full bag fitting in one day, depending on if you've never been fit or just, again, any number of factors, that's a lot. And maybe you want to break it up and you do drivers and fairy woods, and then you know maybe you get those, and then a couple weeks later you do your irons because you're able to go through that process. Don't put the pressure on yourself to do it all at once if you think it's a lot. And this is also where communication is so important because, as I've said, some of the best fitters that I know, or the best fitters that I know, just period, are great communicators. And you, as someone who's going into a fitting, take that to heart and be a good communicator back. Take that information, answer questions honestly, and you're going to get a lot out of it. And if you're starting to feel tired or you're starting to feel like you need a little bit of a break, take the break, okay? It's your fitting. Look, look, I've been on both sides of this thing, okay? It's a customer service that they are providing, right? They are providing a service and you are the customer. So, be able to communicate and say, you know what, uh, I, need, I need a couple minutes here. I'm feeling a little tired. I want to like grab a drink, maybe go to the washroom, grab a little snack, whatever it happens to be, just communicate it because you want to be able to feel comfortable. And I'll tell you right now, as someone who has been a fitter and talked to you, I want, I want the people that I'm fitting to also be comfortable because that's part of the experience. And it's also making sure that at the end of the day, you're going to get what's going to work for you. And that's what when I'm talking about getting ready for a fitting. Also, this sounds really simple, but it's just those little things that make the difference, right? Like bring the shoes that you normally wear, right? Don't bring a new pair of shoes. Just bring the ones that you normally wear. Make sure they're clean, especially if you are getting fit inside and just be comfortable. If you hit golf balls in, you know, shorts and a t-shirt, just wear shorts and a t-shirt. You don't have to go dressed in golf clothing. That's something that you see. I see a lot of people that get like overdressed to go to a fitting. And I'm like, just wear it feels comfortable. Uh, again, it maybe is an oversimplification of this entire discussion, but I want to hit everything because people who listen to this show, we've got scratch golfers. We've got people that are getting into it and people that are just looking for more information. And I'm here to help provide that. And that also means, you know, maybe spring for a new glove because you're going to hit a lot of golf balls. And that's just part of making sure that you're ready to go. It's making sure that your gear is ready to go. And another thing too, it's a small one, but you know, clean the golf clubs that you have that you're bringing, right? Because first of all, a lot of times, a lot of these places, it's, it would be very inconvenient 
to go through the process of like cleaning a few of your clubs before you, you start getting warmed up. Uh, it's also like general care for your clubs. Just, uh, you know, that's what you should do anyways, hopefully after a round or between shots or whatever it is. And then it also, you know, it, again, having to clean like in a bay is a pain in the butt. And it can take away from your experience if like the golf balls are getting messy and they're the bay and they, maybe they got to clean in between or something like that. And it's, I think of it as a way of just, you know, showing respect for the place that you're going to, right? I've, I've seen people show up with just like the dirtiest, nastiest, messy cleats uh, or spikes, whatever you want to call them. And it's like, oh, seriously, you're not going to, you're not going to clean them at all. You're just going to trample around in here. Um, in the wintertime, it's not normally a big issue because a lot of people are like maybe practicing inside already. Uh, and you're wearing snow boots and a lot of places you're not really going into, you're, you're going to change your shoes anyways. But it's just these little things that I want to put out there because I think it's really important and it just helps you be ready. Because I've actually been, like I said, I've been going through this today. I had uh, my clubs ready to go. I got them all clean. They're all clean anyways. Actually, I was playing golf a couple weeks ago uh, with some people at an event and uh, one of my friends came up to me and he's like, are your clubs like always this clean? I'm like, yeah, I'm like a habitual club cleaner. Like I go home, everything comes out of the bag, everything gets scrubbed, everything gets put back in. And it's just like part of what I do. I like, I, I like going through that process. I like making sure things are clean. I like making sure things are ready because there are definitely times when I'll just be like, oh sweet, I'm going to go play golf. And I grab my clubs and I go and everything's ready to, you know, just hit the course. Speaking of, I made that exact mistake. So here you go. First tangent of the day. As most people are aware, this is something that I do. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was able to play with a friend of mine, Scott McLeod, Flagstick Magazine, another uh, Canadian golf writer, um, CPJ Pro. He's been on the show. Check it out. If you if you haven't listened to it, uh, go back in the catalog probably a couple months now. We had a fun conversation about fitting and teaching. So check that out anyways. Um, so he came down. He was in like locally here. He doesn't live really close to me at all. Um, and we decided he brought some, um, hickory golf clubs. And so for fun, I grabbed my bag of persimmon and, and old blades, but yeah, I, I, maybe I'll share a picture of my shop. I always take all, like all my putters, except for like the gamer that sits in my, my bag when I'm ready to go, sits on a shelf. I've got old zing putters and old ping putters and bullseyes and like the 8802 Wilson's and stuff like that. I got a whole bunch of other putters, but like. All the old ones kind of sit in their own little spot along with everything else. So unless I'm going out to play with a bag of clubs, then the, the putters and stuff just sit on a shelf. So um, I grabbed my persimmon bag, put it in the car, got my shoes ready. I was running out the door. I wasn't in a rush. I was just excited to get there. Um, and got to the first tee, hit my shot, hit my approach shot near the green. I was just on the fringe went to go reach for my putter and I didn't have one. Why? Because I was messing around and I didn't put one in the bag and I didn't even think about it. And so, you know why? Because I wasn't prepared. I should have just thrown it in the bag the day before, just gone through and checked everything at all, everything else, golf balls, gloves, everything was in there except for a putter. So uh, I borrowed uh, Scott's putter a couple times and I just put it with a wedge. Whatever. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really... It, well, it should probably change my putting a little bit. But, I mean, uh, over the course of, like, a round of golf, I don't think it really... I mean, it does matter. Okay, let me start that over. Having a putter is very important, and it matters. But for the sake of the round that I was playing in, it wasn't a big issue. It was just a casual round, having fun. 
And that's actually, you know, I guess rolling into the next part of this, something that I like to do, which is a fun drill. Uh, it teaches you to be very steady with your, your putting stroke. It also teaches you not to hover the putter necessarily, but just to make sure that you come through very level and hopefully with a slightly upward angle of attack with your putter is putting with a wedge. Have it be a lob wedge or a sand wedge or even a, a, a gap wedge. Maybe you're your pitching wedge. Any of those like lower lofted or higher lofted like wedges in your bag um, because you learn to hit, you know, the equator of the golf ball. And it just forces you to focus too because the leading edge are generally more rounded and left and right you're going to see missing. And when you hit it in the middle, of course, then you're going to, you know, roll your putts really well and it's a fun little practice tool. So uh, going back, I didn't have a putter talking about being prepped for your fitting there we go now we're back on track and that's kind of what i wanted to get at today and part of it too is also approach it with an open mind and this is how we're going to roll into the next subject here for, uh, quickly for a moment um, because the places that i have always been a part of except for a brief stint uh with an oem actually i've worked at a couple so that's actually not true at all um but working from the the fitting facility side of things I've always been brand agnostic. And I think if you're going into a fitting and you are buying your golf clubs, you are not a professional golfer and you're not having someone pay you and write you a check to play golf clubs and make sure that you get fitted into the newest stuff and all those things, which I'm thinking probably anyone who listens to this, you're probably not in that category. Um, then just go in with an open mind because something that you might not have expected to work might be the winner. I've seen it with irons, I've seen it with hybrids, I've seen it with fairy woods, I've seen it with all kinds of stuff. And when you have this open mind, it allows you to just use the 14 clubs or 13 full swing clubs that are going to work best for you. Obviously, when it comes to, say, wedges, looks is going to play an important part. Actually, looks across the board is going to play an important part. So that may factor into the decision. Maybe the one that maxes out for you or is completely optimized uh, you don't really like the look of it. And that's totally fair. Maybe you're going to give up a couple of yards, but you're going to gain a lot of confidence having a golf club that you like better. And that's part of the communication process, which I've already touched on here. So be honest with your fitter, what you like, what you don't like. If a grip doesn't feel comfortable, they can probably switch it out. Most places have that ability to do that with like air or something else. Generally it's air. And just be open-minded because you will be shocked what you end up with. Um, I think it's one of those things that's always very interesting, especially from a shaft flex perspective, which I'm going to touch on in a little bit later on in the show, um, from a, like what your preconceived notions of a product might be and what they actually deliver for you could be vastly different and it can give you that advantage that you're looking for. So again, be open-minded and you know look at everything that's out there. Um, so with that in mind, that brings me to the subject of the winner this week on the PGA Tour, the Sanderson Farms. He had a brand agnostic set of clubs in the bag. Actually, the winner on the LPGA Tour did as well. So Sergio and Mel both had brand agnostic setups. I believe Mel Reed plays a set of mirror irons. Sergio's got some pinged in the bag and he's got a lot of other tailor-made stuff, but that shouldn't be a huge shocker. He played their clubs for a very long period of time. And at the end of the day, it's something he is very comfortable with. I think he even had the golf ball. So, you know, that plays into it, right? And that comes down to being brand agnostic. And we've actually seen, this is kind of cool, um, True Spec, which is a fitting company, um, 
they're again they're owned by this under the same umbrellas like golf.com and like a bunch of things like 8am golf so just just like to make people aware of that um they actually have sponsored a tour player so for the first time you know there are brand agnostic players out there obviously the, the big one that a lot of people talk about is brooks the other one right now since you just won sergio another one is uh justin rose right so there's three right off the top of my head that i can think of and there's more out there and they're they're getting more common right uh some players i think uh snedeker this week snedeker i i have to look at his bag I haven't actually seen his full setup in a while um but normally he's got like bridgestone irons aerotex a uh, couple different options with wedges he has a tour edge fairywood for a long time uh but he had a new i had a mizuno driver in the bag i actually put that out on twitter this uh, week i saw it and i was like is that a mizuno driver and it was um and it just be again finding what works for you is very important and i know obviously i think sneds has always been a bridgestone guy um especially with the golf ball that's a big thing for them so uh it's just again finding what works for you is very important and it, you know no one's paying you to play golf clubs so be open-minded when you're in your fitting we're seeing more success with players on the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour and the European Tour. Tommy Fleetwood came second. He's another person, former Nike player. He's got a, a, a just a crazy mixed bag, all kinds of stuff. And it all comes down to just using what works. I can't overstate that enough because if you're comfortable with it, use it. Who cares what your friends say if it's like a off brand, not an off brand, but it's something that like they didn't expect in your bag. Um, I know people still look at my bag now and they're like, you carry a, like a six year old seven wood from a company, like, uh, what is it? A uh, 915 Titleist uh, seven wood, the Duffner one. I think I've, I've talked about it enough times now. Um, I'm like, yeah, cause it works and I don't really care. And the funny thing is, so I actually was going to touch on this earlier. I have it written down in my notes for the show which is that look behind the curtain to know that I actually prepare when I do these things is uh, it's fun when you are shopping for used clubs. And I was because of this very wood and because of some other stuff, I was just browsing today. Actually, I, I browse most days. Uh, let's be completely honest here. We're all in the friend zone, right? So um, in the safe, the nest of honesty or whatever. Um, so the fun thing is always to like, when you're looking for used clubs, you will find clubs that maybe one or two, years older or a series older but they actually sell for more money than the newer stuff and that is a really good sign that for some reason the demand on those products are very high which means they're probably really good and it's like a certain model year of car there you go there's the first car reference of the day um people look back like yeah that whatever that car was really really good that year model something about it something that they changed with the engine or the motor or uh, when i say motor i meant to like the um you know the the windows uh, up and down windows on the side they like they work really well they don't like fritz out after 10 years or whatever uh, or any number of things May, again car analogies are not my thing i use them a lot but i'm not great at them and uh so when you look at these things you see like oh oh actually perfect example uh i love this car the toyota fj cruiser Every time I go to look for one of those things, they're still like shockingly expensive. Um, and I know why it's like the body on frame. Uh, they got a, they're, they're just a cool looking car. Toyota only made them for a short period of time. And uh, they still go for a, like a whack load of money, even though they're used. Um, 
and even ones with like a lot of kilometers on them that are pretty beat up, people take them off road because of the design, because of the durability, because of everything they packed into this car is very cool. And you see that with certain clubs. I'm not again, you know, $15,000 on a car is a lot different than $500 or 100 bucks on a Ferrywood. Different ends of the price scale here. Um, but from a hobby perspective, right, if you're shopping for used and you're like, well, that's really expensive, but it's not as expensive as that one, it kind of relates down to a macro or micro level when it comes to golf clubs. And um, perfect example, 915 Fairywoods, uh, they still go for quite a bit, uh, more than you would probably expect for a club that came out, you know, I guess, what, five, six years ago at this point. Uh, another good example, uh, favorite example of mine, uh, SLDR Fairywoods. Uh, big fan of those. Uh, I, I, at one point in time, I think I had like seven of them. Uh, I had a couple, uh, the tour three woods, which are like the lower lofted ones, some three woods, a couple five woods. Uh, the one that has eluded me, Hey, if you got one, let me know your price. Reach out on the old Twitter and Instagram, RDS Brath, and that's the 5HL. The 5HL is a nice way of saying 7 wood. It was 21 degrees and uh, just an awesome little golf club. I got a chance to hit a couple of them one time. Uh, I should have bought it when I had the chance, but I didn't. And uh, yeah, now I'm on my show soliciting people to sell me their fairy woods. Uh, but the. Those things still go for a lot and they're hard to find because, again, people hold on to them. Another one that, it's, again, if you pay attention to the Golf Direct's forums or you talk to a lot of golfers, a lot of people call them the, uh, Johnny Wonder loves using the term, the Unicorn Club, right? Another one that would always go for a huge amount of money was something called the High Bore 2 Wood. Um, if you ever see them listed, people will call them like very rare, hard to find because they are. They didn't make a lot of them and it's, it was like a 16 or 15 degree full size driver, sat pretty square. And uh, it was just a cool golf club, uh, but they just were harder to find because they didn't make a lot of them. And then, you know, because it's not a, it's not a highly popular skew, but once someone gets a hold of one, puts a good shaft in it, and by good shaft, I mean, you know, something that fits them, obviously, um, you could have like a little like rocket launcher in that golf club, right? And it's like, oh, I hit, you know, I hit it a lot higher than a three wood because it's, it's got a deeper face. It's got a lot of loft on it, deep center of gravity. Um, I don't hit as far as a driver, but I hit a lot of fairways because it spins a little more just the design of the golf club. And for some reason, that thing just worked for a lot of people. A lot of people loved it. And it's one of those unicorn clubs. So the ones that I always like is that's SLDR 5HL. The Cleveland one is always a fun one. Um, actually another one too, uh, which I have, I have one of the drivers is the J33R, the 461. Sick. And speaking of the J33R, if you find the blades, that was just a classic set of great golf clubs, by the way. Again, this was not, these are not, this part was not in the notes, but now I'm going into my brain of like all the stuff that I really like. Um, J33 blades, the cavity backs, split cavity backs, also very good. Uh, that basically the entire series was really good. Um, but because the distribution wasn't extremely high in North America, they were harder to find. And when you find them now, a lot of people that had those clubs use them for a very long period of time and never got rid of them. So if you do happen to find a set in really good shape, you know, maybe snag them if you're in the market. Uh, but the fairy woods, very good. Not super forgiving, but uh, pretty low spin, pretty hot club faces on them. Uh, just another one of those fun ones that you find um, that the prices are a lot higher. Actually, and one I meant to actually say was the air muscle. The air muscle was like a very popular driving iron from Bridgestone, the J33 air muscle. And they called it the air muscle because it was like, it looked like a muscle back blade, but it was hollow, which is very common now. But, you know, 15 years ago, that wasn't super common when it came to driving irons. I think 14 did one. Ernie Els used to play one of those um, and used it, actually used it for a really long time. 
and then Titleist came out with the 503i, which is a cool one, which was uh, like a rare, and then they came up with the TMB. Like, that was not something that was very common at the time, and it, I think they probably took a lot of the technology from Tour Stage because it was part of the thing, and then Bridgestone took that over, and there was all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, long story short, if you find the good stuff and you notice these prices are a little higher, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, cool. Um, and another perfect example, which relates to an article that I wrote for GolfDirects.com, another plug, but, you know, I want you to read the stuff that I write. If you are curious, that's where you can find it. Um, I went over the the greatest or the most iconic Titleist drivers of all time. Um, one that's harder to find, at least for me. Um, now, again, because they, they were more of like the, the lesser loved of the two drivers because they always came in like two, generally two or three, um, was the 983E and the 905S. 905S and T came out at the same time. They were 460, uh, 400 cc's, and then the 460 905R came out, which really changed Titleist driver perception uh, with a lot of players. It was their first 460 driver. Now, that's the other thing. You have to remember this. Like, I lived and grew up in the era of this is small. Hey, the next year, it's actually bigger. And then the next year, it's bigger again. Nowadays, everything's 460 or something maybe, you know, something comes out that's a little smaller in general, but you're not getting stuff that's going backwards in size, right? Everything's maxed out. But everyone was pushing for bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, I remember the first launcher. Cleveland launcher was like 330. Then it was 400. Then then it finally got to the 460. Then there was the launcher comp. And there's like, oh my gosh, they actually got bigger. This looks so much bigger than the first launcher. My I think my buddy had a 330 or the 400 and the 460 came out. And it was like, this thing is massive. It's a toaster on a stick. Like, those kind of things. That was something that I grew up during that time when it was, like, really cool to see these new sizes and shapes come out and all this stuff. And for Titleist, those drivers, 905 S&T, the T was very popular only because Stricker used it for, like, a million years. Uh, but the S kind of got overshadowed by the T, and then the R came out, and then no one really cared about those drivers too much. But those who had them really liked them. So finding an S, again, is another one of those ones that's harder to find. Uh, so now what was talking about fitting and talking about being brand agnostic has now divulged or kind of um, de-evolved into this topic of like cool stuff that's hard to find. Um, and now because I'm talking about them, you're going to go looking for them and you're going to drive the prices up. So this is not helping my case at all. So I'm going to get off of this and I will mention, speaking of used golf clubs, that was a really good segue, not intentional, not part of the notes, um, is Golf Avenue. Golf Avenue is a partner of ours with Golf WRX. And if you're in the market for used clubs, they're a great place to check out. Also, they are looking for used clubs. They want your used clubs. The marketplace this year has been insane, and they are trying to, you know, get your used golf clubs to sell to people who are looking for them, right? And being part of Golf Direct, uh, golfdirects.com slash golfavenue, you can get additional percentage on your trade-ins. And if you're looking to get something back and buying some golf clubs, you get additional value on the other end too. So that is golfwx.com slash golf avenue. And as I said, get a little bit on the front, a little bit on the back, and you can probably find, you can find some really good deals out there for yourself or for someone who's still getting into the game this year or still wants to take it up or is looking to fill that, that gap in their bag. It's a great place to check out. As I said, I was a customer of theirs many years before any of this came together because uh, I like shopping for used clubs. They always have the pickers, and it's just something that I really enjoy, and I'm glad they're able to help us here at Golf Directs, and they help you too as listeners of the show. All right, so now to the final part of today's 
episode. And that is answering your questions and also talking about um, golf shafts. Because when I do the question and answer on Instagram, you can follow along, RDS Brath on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget, on WRX on Instagram as well. I do these Instagram stories questions, usually once a week. Most of the time it's on Thursday or Friday. And I get a lot of common questions, and it's great. I like to think of it as I give people the the Disneyland experience, right? Not everyone has asked a question before, and some people are new to listening to me or checking out my, my page on Instagram. So because of that, I want to make sure that I answer everybody. So don't if you have a question, don't feel like, don't feel weird that you think it's a stupid or a simple question. There's no such thing as a stupid question. If you don't know it, someone else out there is probably thinking it too. So please ask it. I will be happy to answer. Or if I don't understand the question, I will reach out through direct messaging to help, you know, solve the problem for you. Um, but one of the common questions that I get all the time is about shafts and high launch versus low launch versus, you know, if this works in this, will it work in that? And the answer, in all honesty, is I have no idea because I don't know your golf swing. Obviously, when you ask a question with, I don't know, you have 100 characters to ask it, I don't know anything about your golf game. And so I try my best to, if you can give an answer or say, I like this, maybe I should look at that, or I found this works in the past, that is always a big help. Uh, a good example was I use X shaft in my driver in, say, 60 grams, should I use that in my three wood as well? That's a very common question that I think a lot of people have when they're buying golf clubs and or they're looking into a fitting. And, you know, sometimes some companies recommend it. It depends on the player. Um, but I, I make sure that, especially for the three wood, that a player goes through and tests at like it's a completely different golf club. And the reason is a three wood has to be the most versatile club in your bag. Mostly, and this is this is referring to amateur players. Uh, for professional golfers, it's uh, I don't even I guess they use them on really really long par fives. But even then, like these guys are so long, it's insane, right? Maybe they need them on drivable par fours. That's kind of the the state of where we've gotten in golf. It's that it's kind of sounds ridiculous, but for the longest players, that's sometimes what it really comes down to. But when it comes, other than a wedge, a full swing golf club, other than a lob wedge. The three wood has to be extremely versatile. And as you get down into slower swing speeds, it has to be even more versatile because you have to use it off the tee. You have to use it off the deck. You have to approach and carry it a certain distance. Sometimes you have to hit it lower and have it roll a bit more. Um, in the case of hitting approach shots for players that are slower, maybe it's not a three wood, maybe it's a four wood or a five wood that you start your bag at. You have to be able to hit it high enough to stop it, but you also want to make sure that you are maximizing distance as well. You may have to hit it from a very poor lie. Um, all of these things factor in. And because of that, you have to hit it high, you have to hit it low. With driver, you're hitting off a tee, you got to hit as far as freaking possible. Very simple, right? Three would you have to do that, and then you have to do everything else as well. And that's why when it comes to finding a golf shaft, yes, most times you're going to find that Whatever your driver shaft is, your fairy wood or your three wood or your first fairy wood after your driver is going to be 10 to 15 grams heavier in the shaft. And depending on the head that you're looking at and the shaft, because again, talking about the brand agnostic thing from the earlier on in the show, you have this um, 
this driver, you hit it off a tee, try and create certain launch conditions, and that's great. But because you're hitting this other club off the ground, you and because of the club head is different, you might be looking at optimizing different launch conditions depending on how you hit your three wood. I've seen players that can hit up on their their drivers, no problem. But then because of their um, their swing dynamics into a three wood, they maybe need more loft. They need to get it up faster. They need to actually create some extra spin. And that's where it's very important to make sure that you treat it like a separate golf club and don't just say, um, oh, I got fit for this in the driver. I like this three wood. I hit a couple times. Let's order it with the shaft that's 10 grams heavier. It might work. I'm not saying that it's not going to work. If you're going to use it as strictly a tee golf club, it's probably going to work pretty good. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but it's probably going to work pretty well. But as far as full optimization is what is your what you're trying to achieve out of it, I think it's important to go through the process of making sure that you're fit separately. And that goes for your three wood or your five wood or your seven wood or whatever it happens to be your first club after your driver. And then the next one after that. And the same applies from driver shafts to matching hybrid shafts. Although a lot of companies do have somewhat similar bend profiles and, and things like that or um, series that you'll see um, from different companies that kind of work their way down from driver to hybrids that might work really well, but it's it's very hard to say because center of gravities and golf clubs are all very different. And for a lot of people too, like myself, as I've said, I have a driver, a three wood, and I, right now I'm using a seven wood. Um, and so because of that, the shafts are different in all three golf clubs. They're kind of vastly different. At one point, the seven wood had like a hundred gram shaft in it, which didn't make a lot of sense. I know it worked really well at the time and it still works very well. Um, but it didn't progress very, it didn't, it didn't progress in the set. It was like a weird experiment. So the driver went 60 or like, yeah, basically 60, 65 cut. And then the ferry went to like 75 and then the fifth one went to hundred, but then my iron shafts go to like 115. And I'm like, okay, it kind of works. But then when I put a hybrid in the bag, it was like 90. Well, that doesn't make sense because the, the, I mean, it can, I'm not saying that it doesn't work that way. But a lot of times you're going to see a steady progression in the set as far as going up in weight. And that's where, again, talking about whatever shaft is going to work for you, you have to find that out because every club is different and every club has a different job. When it comes to iron sets, it's a little different. And that's, you know, I'll lead that into another question that I got about a very common question. And this leads into the, the kind of the, the whole topic here was, you know, I find that I hit my, you know, four iron three iron. Sometimes I, I get five iron a little low. Should I switch to a lighter shaft that's going to launch the ball higher? Launch the number one factor of creating launch and spin is speed and the loft of the golf club. Plain and simple. The more speed you have, the more spin you can create and the easier it is to launch a golf ball. The less speed you have, the lower the lofts, it gets much more difficult. It's, it's just, it's physics folks especially when it comes to modern day golf balls that are not designed to spin as much. Maybe you were able to play those lower lofted irons when you used a Bellata golf ball. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking to an older crowd at this point, if you've played with Bellata. Um, but as far as modern day golf ball goes, they're not really spinning off these lower lofted clubs as much, which is freaking sweet for the driver, but not so great for the long irons anymore. So with that in mind, you have to, you can't just say, I'll put a lighter weight shaft. I'll get a pick of a couple miles an hour and it'll hit it higher. It doesn't work like that. It's the loft of the golf club. The center of gravity of that golf club is creating those dynamics and changing the shaft is potentially most likely a big waste of money. That's why 
if you get fit and you go through a gapping process, you will find this out very quickly. I have, perfect example, I have some driving irons that I do have around. I have a two and a three. Do I use them that often? No. The reason is I don't hit them high enough. I just don't. It's, I, I have zero ability to create the speed to hit them high enough to get the distance out of them. I basically carry them the same distance as my five iron. Or sorry, not five iron, the four iron, my longest iron. I carry the three and I carry the two. They, hit, they, they literally go within four or five yards of each other. I've hit them on launch monitors. It doesn't work. But they are great clubs to have when it gets very, very dry in the summertime and depending on the course I'm playing. So I like to have them around. I'm going to keep them. But they are not an everyday golf club because although they have different lofts, they have different shafts, they all go the same distance, basically, because I don't have the speed to get them up in the air. Plain and simple. That's why I have a freaking seven wood. Come on, I've already mentioned that a couple times and in many shows before. So by doing that and by trying these different shafts, it's a good idea. But the head is really what is causing these launch and spin as well as your, your swing and your dynamics mostly being speed. Um, now, this leads into the last part of the show, which is talking about shafts. I had a great question this week, and someone asked, you know, I see a lot of golfers talking about needing to reduce spin, especially with drivers. We've seen it a lot this year from, you know, the popularity of the 410 LST from Ping Obviously, the extreme popularity of the Sim, Maverick Sub-Zero. These drivers that are designed to reduce, like seriously reduce spin. Titleist TS3. Some people talk about the TS4. Um, but why? Well, there's a very good reason for this. Most golfers, and I'm talking even some competitive amateur golfers, don't, and myself included, do not have the swing dynamics that are going to create optimal launch conditions. It just doesn't happen. And look, there are players on the PGA Tour that don't either. And we're talk when I'm talking optimal, I'm talking at this speed, you can hit it this far. Uh, a good example would be Cameron Champ. Cameron Champ hits down on the golf ball. So if you use the ping chart that talks about launch and spin and optimizing for attack angle and speed, which is absolutely freaking awesome, Google that, you'll just, you're gonna get a huge uh, just learning experience there, right? So anyways, check that out. Um, so with that in mind, right, players need the ability to lower spin um, because they just, they don't create it. I'm talking about average golfers here, just even your club golfers. Some hit down on it, some don't, some hit lower on the face, <laughs> me. Um, so because of that, these, I, I want something that spins less. Have it be a club head design or trying to find a shaft design. The two examples that someone gave me were Xander Shoffley and uh, Joachim Neiman. Um, well, first of all, Yoki Neiman launches it like, I don't know, fescue high. Like he hits it super, super low because of his dynamics. So he's someone who needs as much as he can possibly get out of it. Xander, on the other hand, hits it freaking really high um, and not with a lot of spin. And the reason you see a lot of players on tour, I mean, I think um, Brian Harmon even, I could be wrong on this. I think I saw it in his bag. Brian Harmon, for example, uses like a Ventus Red. And people are like, well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. You'd be a tour player. You'd be able to hit it really high and really far and, like, you know, hits it with no spin. But he still wants to be able to carry it a certain distance. And his dynamics are good enough that he creates great launch conditions already. And if you go to an extremely low launch, low spin shaft and you start to mishit it, 
this is where you get into trouble. And this is a big thing with fitting because when I, when you fit a golfer, you're getting fit. Don't let a fitter try and sell you the one that you hit the furthest one time. Look at the one that you hit the most consistent and good fitters are not going to fit that way anyways. But if you are in a situation where someone is trying to sell you a driver or they're trying to lean you towards a driver that, man, you hit this one five yards further than everything else. And then you look at the dispersion, it's everywhere. That is not the one that's going to help your golf game. It is not. You're not going to learn to hit it better. It's not going to magically get better. It's just, no, it, yes, it creates optimal numbers one time out of five or one time out of 10, but you're only going to hit it 12 times on the golf course anyways. So if you only hit three fairways, you're not going to score very well. Now, yes, you could play the Bryson game and say, yes, I'm going to mash it, whatever, so far. doesn't matter. I'm not going to throw a number out there. It's your own golf game. But if your dispersion is really bad as far as distance variation, like longest to shortest as well as left to right, that's not the one. Happily give up a couple yards to hit it a little bit straighter. Or find the combo, have it be a shaft and maybe the same head or maybe a different loft. It's going to help you hit it as far as possible, but also reduce dispersion. And that will lead to lower scores, plain and simple. Because then you know where you're going to miss it, especially if it's right and left, right? A lot of players you'll see, I talk about it, um, want to eliminate a miss, right or left. A lot of PGA Tour players, they like to play a fade. They try and eliminate the left side of the golf course, right? And by doing that, they're able to know or manage their miss. Uh, I've heard uh, people that talk about statistics or talk about um, how to aim, when you're playing golf, obviously you want to aim at the flag. But in reality, a lot of people aren't. They're aiming at the middle if it happens to fade or whatever. It's like the shotgun approach, right? I can't, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm not giving credit to who this was. I, I remember reading it and I, it just came to my mind when I was talking about this. Is your golf ball pattern is going to be like a shotgun. It's not a sniper rifle. You're not going to be plunking the pin at 150 yards. You're going to have a dispersion. So you want to know where that dispersion is going to be. And if it's not even close and you're just everywhere, like a sawed-off shotgun, I think that would happen, right? I'm not a big gun guy. Um, If it's going to go way further everywhere, then that's not going to help at all, right? So you want to be able to focus in what you're doing with your approach and creating the smallest possible dispersion, which is still not going to be like a sniper rifle. It's going to be like a relatively accurate shotgun. So when you are going through that process, make sure that you're, you know, you're looking at all of those things combined. Now, getting back to the dynamics of things, just like when it comes to the driver and the three wood, you're looking to find something that's going to offer the best numbers. And if you go too low and spin, as soon as you miss it, you're toast. Because the spin's going to drop so low, you're not going to get any carry, and it's going to wobble through the air and fly wherever. Um, a good example of a driver that would do this would be the SLDR, right? They talked about lofting up, and it created great numbers. If you missed high or low on that club face, the, the center of gravity was so low and forward on that driver. Um, for good ball strikers, you can still test that driver, and it tests very, very well on center strikes. But if you miss it heel and toe, again, up and down on the face, vertically, not a big deal. Horizontally, it's a nightmare. It can go all over the place. A toe hook with that driver was some of those, I've seen players hit some of those vicious toe hooks you've ever seen with a driver because there was no forgiveness. Horizontally, of course. Um, Because gear effect would take over so much because the uh, center of gravity is so much more forward. 
you just didn't get that stability. And you would have these shots that would, you know, tail off toe hooks like persimmon drivers. Um, there's an old reference for it anyways. So that's where, again, finding the dispersion and keeping spin up because the spin would just tank. You'd hit a ball that launched at, I don't know, 1,200 RPM. It would carry no, like, well, I don't know, 70 or 60% of what your normal carry was. And then you're in a really, really bad position and nobody wants that. So again, one of those things to keep in mind when you're looking at spin numbers, depending on, I'm not going to throw any numbers out there. Look at the optimization charts and figure out what's going to work for you. And then maybe go a little higher because it's going to help you with that, right? Um, a perfect example, again, referencing the PGA Tour, just because I, I I have connections to these stories and people that I know. Uh, a couple of years ago, Gary Woodland came to the Canadian Open. He was working with a couple of different companies. One was Acra. And Ian Fraser from TXG, a lot of people are well aware of their YouTube channel at this point, um, was asked to help out and go through this process. And Gary can hit it. He has it in the tank to go further, right? We're starting to see this now because of the Bryson effect of Finau and Rory and uh, Champ, you know, trying to hit up on it a little bit more. Um, they can go to the tank and hit it further and just see what happens, right? Well, Gary has that too, but he just wants to, you know, create a specific miss, wanted to play a fade, wanted to see a certain ball flight. And so he was using a driver that was tipped like an inch and a half. It was already X-Flex or something ridiculous. And he dialed it in because he felt comfortable with that. He gave up a little bit of distance. He added a little bit of spin. And he saw the ball flight that he wanted. And that's what you should do, right? So when you go into a fitting, as I talked out the front, be prepared by not, you know, overworking yourself days before. Be prepared with your equipment be prepared in your body and mind. Communicate to your fitter what you're looking for, your realistic goals, and take in as much as you can and be agnostic. No one's paying you to use golf clubs. You're about to plunk down money for your own golf clubs. So use the ones that work the best for you. And that is the most important thing. And being prepared to go through that process is going to allow you and your fitter to work together very well, create a communication go through the process and find what's going to work best. And hopefully at the end of the day, you're going to play better golf. And that's what I'm here to help you do. That's the goal is to have that communication and have some fun and share information along the way. So that concludes today's show. Hope you really liked it. Um, I, I wanted to go down a couple different avenues of this to, to kind of discuss the process, because like I said, I'm going to be going through this myself uh, to test some new clubs from some OEMs. So I, I, you know, I reset myself and try and do that and, you know, thought about it and wanted to pass it along because people are getting fit for new stuff that's coming out now. If you are booking your fittings, just think about these things. So again, hope you enjoyed the show this week. Remember, you can follow along Instagram and Twitter, RDSBrath, right there, and OnSpecWRX as well on Instagram, which is the show's page here. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed listening. If you have questions, reach out on the th channels that I just gave you. And as always, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.